Welcome to Banyan Books, Branches of Wisdom. Celebrating the joy of bright ideas and heartful lifelong learning. Branches of Wisdom is a series of intimate conversations with the world's most influential authors and visionaries. We explore spirituality and the human mind, ecology and culture. Most episodes are recorded with a live audience. You can join our live events and submit questions to your favorite guests. Check out our upcoming schedule at banyan.com. Since 1970, Banyan Books has been a rich oasis at the crossroads of wisdom and philosophy, offering resources for humanity's evolving paths. We're a locally owned, independent bookstore in the heart of Vancouver's Kitsilano neighborhood. Visit us in person or shop online at banyan.com. Please subscribe follow, like, and leave your reviews for the podcast. And now, enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Branches of Wisdom, the Banyan Books podcast. I'm your host, Ross McKeechee, and very excited today to be joined by our special guest, Dr. Sue Johnson. Dr. Sue Johnson is a leading innovator in the fields of couple therapy and adult attachment. She's the primary developer of Emotionally Focused Therapy, or EFT, which has demonstrated its effectiveness in over 30 years of peer-reviewed clinical research. It is acknowledged as the gold standard in tested, proven interventions for couples. Dr. Sue has received numerous awards acknowledging her development of EFT, including Psychologist of the Year from Division 43 of the American Psychological Association in 2016 and the Order of Canada in 2017. As the founding director of the International Centre for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy, Dr. Sue trains counsellors in EFT worldwide and provides guidance to 65 affiliated centers. She consults for the US and Canadian militaries and is a popular presenter and speaker for the general public. Dr. Sue is author of four books, including two bestsellers, Love Sense, The Revolutionary New Science of Romantic Relationships, and the book, which is the focus of our conversation today, along with its brand new companion workbook, Dr. Sue's landmark book is titled, Hold Me Tight, Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of Love, and it was released in 2008. And now the Hold Me Tight workbook, A Couple's Guide for a Lifetime of Love, was released December 13th, 2022. Hold Me Tight has helped more than 1 million readers strengthen and repair their romantic relationships. Now finally comes a companion workbook designed to help couples open up, reestablish safe emotional connection, and renew their bond. Drawing on the latest developments in EFT, the Hold Me Tight workbook is packed with sage wisdom and science-backed advice, as well as compelling conversation prompts, exercises, activities, and resources to help couples work through conflict and achieve greater levels of intimacy. I can say that personally, I have read Hold Me Tight and I got a chance to go through much of the workbook over the last couple of weeks. And uh, it's really, really powerful and wonderful work and I, I highly recommend it to everybody. Hold Me Tight has taught countless couples how to enhance and repair their relationships. And the book has since been developed into a relationship enhancement program called Hold Me Tight online, which can be found at holdmetightonline.com. And if you'd like to learn more about our honored guest today and her work, you can visit her personal website, which is dr or for Dr. SueJohnson.com. Banyan community, please join me in a very warm welcome for Dr. Sue Johnson. Hello, Dr. Sue. Hi, Ross. What a beautiful uh, introduction. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here. It's really, really a pleasure to have you. You're most welcome. Now, one thing that I, I thought might be helpful for our audience is to just understand a little bit about your own personal journey as a therapist 
and researcher that led you to the creation of emotionally focused therapy? Okay. <laughs> um, well, it's, it's been quite a journey. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but it, it's really, it's difficult to say where it really started. I mean, did it really start with me sitting as a little child, as I talk about in the book, sitting on the stairs in the dark, listening to my parents fight? And um, my granny came to sit beside me. And I remember saying to her, why do they do this? And she said to me, because they love each other, dear. And I remember as a little child thinking, that's silly, right? And um, this is uh, not understanding it, but finding it fascinating. But um, speeding forward a bit, um, I was a doctoral student. And when I was a doctoral student at UBC, I was a crazy person. I was on fire. When I think back on it, I, I was I was demented. Okay, I was so on fire about helping people change and psychology. And anyway, you know, um, I worked, I did really about three doctorates. I think I, I did so many courses and I felt sort of pretty confident about myself as a therapist. I'd run groups and I'd worked with um, men struggling with violent behavior. I'd worked with lots of disturbed adolescents. I'd done family therapy. I'd done individual therapy. And I was feeling like, well, you know, hey, you know, I'm just grooving along here. And then <laughs> my, my last sort of clinical experience um, was in Vancouver and I they called me up and they said Sue you've had quite a lot of experience for a doctoral student um we hope you don't mind we know you're only supposed to see two or three couples but we've got a lot of people sick would you mind seeing couples on the hour every hour for about two and a half days and this is me at the time right I said sure how hard can it be sure I've never I've never seen couple before but sure so I go in there <laughs> and I start to see couples and uh it's terrible it's um um they won't listen to me they don't take any of my suggestions they don't care about the wonderful insights I have they don't uh, they interrupt each other and me they um something's happening here that I just don't understand they, they aren't the least bit interested in what's in the literature, which is learning communication skills. They, they'll sort of do it if I insist, but then the minute they stop doing it, they go back to what they're usually doing, which is blaming each other um, or withdrawing, shutting each other out. And I had no idea what to do. So I went to the library and I thought, okay, um, this is really about love. And there's something in and how love gets stuck and goes wrong and uh, because these people are massively invested in this dance they're doing and um, I went to the library and you know when you're a graduate student you think everything's in the library if you can just find it the secret to life is just in the library like it's in Banyan books okay I go into Banyan books and I say the secret to life is here somewhere I just have to find it so I went all over the place and all I found was incredibly analytic things um abstract concepts skill building things so I thought I don't know what to do and thank goodness I said then I'm going to take my couples and I'm going to watch them until I understand what's going on so I started doing that and we've done that now for 40 years me and all the people who work with me in all these research studies <laughs> the first thing we do is we tape everybody and we all sit down and watch them right we watch the dance as it unfolds between two people and and now we're doing a lot of individual therapy especially with trauma survivors so we watch the dance of growth and stuckness as it unfolds there too and gradually gradually I started to see patterns and I used the skills I did have which were kind of Rogerian after all this was the west coast Rogerian experiential you know um, I used those skills to listen to people and really, my couples taught me. My couples taught me. And so I just watched tapes and I noticed that some things I did actually seemed to help. I wasn't quite sure why. And so I got just turned on. I just got so fascinated and I started writing out a little manual. I think it was eight pages. And um, 
when it came to my thesis, I was sort of given a thesis and I said, um, this is really boring, this thesis. I, I don't want to do this. I want to test this stuff and see if we can show that it works. And oh, that's a crazy idea. Okay, it was way too big. Anyway, we did it. And we got these results that I ran three times because I couldn't believe them. They were through the roof, the, the results we got. And I thought, oh, oh, oh. And then I thought, yes, right. Well, it wasn't just me that got really interested in my sessions and because so, I was a therapist in the study, right? It wasn't just me, it was the, all these other people and we, I wrote it up and we, we, I got it in a very spiffy journal and I, I got a professorship on the basis of that. And, but I didn't really know why. I didn't really, if you'd said to me straight afterwards, you know, well, Sue, what is this about? Why did you get those results? I would have said, oh, well, you see, you know, people started to understand the dances they got caught in and, you know, we gave them a safe place to talk and they got closer. You know, it's pretty vague. So then um, basically what happened was people were standing up and saying things, which they're still doing, actually. I find it quite frustrating. Very silly things about love and couple relationships about how, oh, you can just make rational deals for things. And, you know, you just teach problem solving and communication skills. And there was this thing going around that, that basically love and these love relationships are a bargain. So you just teach people how to bargain. And I remember being at a conference and um, somebody saying, well, that's, that, you don't have anything better, Sue. You know, you, you've done this study and it's very interesting, but, you know, you don't have any better idea of what love relationships are all about and I heard myself say <laughs> don't be silly love relationships are an emotional bond just like and then something you know there's sometimes there's an epiphany in your life where two things that you know suddenly meld and you go ah you know I said it's just like John Bowlby, who did all the studies on mothers and infants. And the person said to me, this is adult relationships. You know, people are independent at 12. And I said, no, no, they're not. It's the same. It's the same. And what we're doing is we're not just helping people calm down and find emotional balance and realize that they're caught in this dance together and nobody's to blame. What we're doing is helping them move into bonding conversations. Well. That was a highly unpopular point of view, I can't tell you. <laughs> um, people wouldn't publish. I tried to write about it. People would uh, tell me you're delusional uh, because we hadn't talked in attachment. There's now a whole science of adult attachment, but this was in the late 80s and it was highly unpopular. It was like, no, um, adults, the point is for adults to be independent and you're wrong about all this, but beginning on this century, wonderful colleagues started doing studies on adult attachment and um, clinically we connected with them. So now I started to, and over the years, I started to really understand that um, adult attachment really cracks the code of romantic love and it has a structure and emotions have a structure and it is not that mysterious. We can, I can show it to you on a piece of tape. I can show here is where the relationship shifts. He starts to see her differently. She starts to see him differently. They start to share their vulnerability in a way that pulls them close. Everything changes. And I can show it to you on a piece of tape. So this is, but we're based on, we've developed all these skills over years and years and many research studies with many different kinds of clients. But as we grew in our clinical work, attachment science for adults grew too. And um, what, what I talk about now a lot is that attachment science is the best version that psychology has ever come up with about who we are, uh, that we are social bonding beings, and that we are in no way self-sufficient, 
that our nervous system is built to connect with others. And this is true from the cradle to the grave. And what we do in EFT and what I talk about in Hold Me Tight is we help people understand what's going on with them, make sense of their love relationships, make sense of how they're triggered, step past those blocks and move into deep bonding conversations. And those conversations are, um, how can I put it? They're biologically prepared learning. They're conversations that your nervous system is longing for. And when you show that path to people, they, their whole nervous system, their whole, it's a, love is a survival code. Their whole nervous system says, this is home. This matters. And so I remember one person saying to me, very famous man in the field, he said, don't you give your couples homework? They have to do homework. And I said, no, not really. He said, well, then they're going to forget everything. I said, no, they're not. They don't, they don't forget what happens in our sessions. They don't. And he said, oh, I said, no, you don't understand. You don't forget deep, powerful emotional experiences that open the door into the connection you've always longed for with another human being. You don't forget that. Your brain says, yes, yes, this is it. Right? And so I think we're the only couple approach that gets um, really powerful follow-up results. In other words, people have bonding conversations and three years later, you ask them questions and they'll tell you, um, yes, we're still uh, happy in our relationship. Yes, not only that, that's the booby prize for me. Uh, I want more than that, right? We're not just happier and don't fight anymore or can problem solve better together. I want more than that, okay? We are closer, we are bonded, we you know, I feel like he has my back. I tell her she's precious to me. We've, we've found each other. We have this safe attachment. And we know that that kind of attachment doesn't just mean you've got a good relationship. It means that you personally are stronger. You are stronger, more resilient. You have more emotional balance. Like some of the cliches about love are really true. Love really does grow people. It really does. And a good couple relationship, the two people grow each other. It's just like a, a good mother grows a child, you know, they grow each other. And that is for a therapist. This is the other thing I've been obsessed with this for 40 years. So, you know, does it not get old? No, because watching two people move into that is an honor, a privilege, magic, amazing. Uh, incredible and you always feel ah oh, you feel you just feel privileged to be able to open the door and say this way see this way and then you watch them do it with such bravery and people reach people who have no reason to trust another human being ever again in their life they will reach if you show them the way because we have this deep longing to be loved and close and feel precious that we matter to another human being and it's stronger than anything it's stronger than sex it's stronger than aggression it's stronger than anything so that was rather long i'll keep my other answers shorter sorry <laughs> no that's wonderful thank you it gives it gives a good entry point into the the context of your work for for our audience now one of the things you write I'll, I'll share a quote here and then I want to ask you, um, you write that the key question in our love relationships is, are you there for me? This translates to, do I matter to you? Can I reach you? Are you accessible, emotionally available to me? Can I rely on you to respond when I need you? Will you engage with me, give your attention? Are you there for me is the A-R-E question. Yes. Can you tell us about A-R-E, this acronym? Yes. Um, well, it came out of watching all these tapes of people doing these incredible moves that changed their lives 
and and constantly asking okay what's the difference what's the difference what's happening here let's and what you saw was that um you know people in in love relationships get stuck in certain dances and the most common one in north america is that one person begins to feel somehow disconnected they aren't sure of the other person they can't find how to be with them so they start pushing for connection but and if it if they don't get a response this becomes urgent and if you don't understand the urgency um people say well i'm irritated i'm angry but if you understand the urgency you hear you see the desperation really that's happening underneath it becomes urgent so then you hear people saying you never talk to me and they push the other person away the other person feels criticized and put down which is very painful for us if it comes from someone we depend on who matters to us literally painful okay there's a lot of research on you know this new science joins biology biology and how we define ourselves to social interaction patterns which when you think about it is amazing okay so you know um most people get stuck in some version of pursuing where are you where are you that's what i hear <laughs> and withdrawal you're telling me i'm a disappointment you're telling me i can't make it with you you're telling me i'm not who you want so i'm going to defend and shut down and shut you out and the more i shut you out the more desperate you become so this is the pattern so many people are caught in we help them see that and we help them see that they create this pattern and then they're stuck in it is but that the pattern you call the protest polka yes we call it that to draw attention to the fact that it's it comes across as criticism and irritation but it's actually protest it's really saying where are you you know where are you but as adults we're not used to looking past surface reactions and seeing people's vulnerability so we we hear anger right so but then that's not enough that's containing the conflict and showing people what's happening to to them and then they talk about the dance instead of saying she did it again they come in and they say we got stuck in our dance again sue we got stuck in the spiral we got stuck is really different from you you know he right um but that's not enough really you want more than that you want to create this connection that people can rely on that allows them to really grow and grow their relationship so we looked at all these tapes and and we looked at the attachment research and it's the same stuff uh, a mother who is taught about her child's vulnerability and taught to see her child's attachment cues and respond to them becomes more open she's she's paying attention to the right things she's actually seeing what's going on right she becomes more open she see she hears the signals from the child she gets them she tunes into them right whereas before she's she's not a bad mum. she's just tuned to something else she's tuned out she she you she tunes into those signals and then she begin and then she lets them move her she responds right and as she does that the engagement between her and the child is tangibly different right and we used to watch and we'd say hey same <laughs> same thing but he just happens to be 52 and you know she's 51 and they've been stuck in withdraw you know uh, pursue for 20 years um same same and and you can see it right and you can see they shift and they shift into understanding something about their own fears and needs which are universal across this planet we all have the same fears and needs understanding about their own fears and needs and being able to sort of name that vulnerability name it and then being able to actually open yourself up to risking actually sharing that with your partner which we're all scared to do it makes us we think more vulnerable more likely to be hurt so we protect ourselves and we shut ourselves down and we shut other people out so you know suddenly you can be more open with your feelings you can say 
instead of you never talk to me, you can say, I feel so lonely. Since, since we, we, you lost your job, you've, you've kind of gone off somewhere and I can't find you. And I feel so lonely and I'm getting really scared because I don't need you to problem solve and fix everything in our lives. I need you just to be with me. And that's an incredible message. And when one person does that, the other person, there's no threat in that message. <laughs> the other person begins to respond. So you get two people tuning in and being open and accessible to each other instead of guarded and shut down and being able to respond to each other on this vulnerable level, right? Responsive. And it's, it's not just a cognitive process, you know, it's, it's a, body process you know i actually for the first time in years i looked after a um a 14 year old baby for two and a half hours a couple of days ago <laughs> and um i didn't know what it was going to be like i was tired you know and i thought this is silly why am i doing this i just found it completely delightful because this little being is so open and so responsive to every move on my face. And if you give him half a chance, he'll engage with you with his whole being. And I would find instead of being tired, my body would like, oh, you know, I clap and he claps. Oh, you know, and we're, we're, we're playing for two and a half hours. So this is the kind of feeling it's joyful. It's about attunement and synchrony. It's a natural source of joy, just like singing with other people is a natural source of joy. Dancing with other people is a natural source of joy. So A-R-E, are you there for me, is trying to say to people, we get caught in all these things, content. Oh, the problem with us is, is that we can't manage money and we fight about money. Mm, yeah, okay, on one level, but no, the problem with you is when you start to talk about money, <laughs> all your attachment fears and needs come up and you basically tell him how disappointing he is and he hears that and he turns away and shuts you out. That's the problem. It's how you talk about money that's the problem, not the money problem. And that's the other thing. We would watch people become ARE and we would watch them in the last sessions of therapy come together and jointly problem solve huge issues that they struggled with for years. You know, huge issues of couple talking about, you know, you've always, you've shut me up for the last 12 years. You go off to the cottage and I, you know, I hate it there. And you'd prefer to be at the cottage with me and you don't love me at all. And I think we should divorce. He says, you're just so difficult to li live with. You wouldn't even, look at the cottage and and in the last session he says that to sounds her, like a find the bad guy conversation yes it is find the bad guy and and in the last session he says to her you know i went to the cottage the other day and i really missed you you miss me <laughs> yeah and i really missed you and you know i really want you there and we don't have to go there all the time i hear that you love the city but i wonder if I built a studio on the side of the cottage for you to paint in, would you come to the cottage with me? She weeps. And I see them three weeks later and they've made plans to live half time in the city and half time at the cottage. Now, you know, this is <clears throat> when people are open, responsive and accessible, they can solve problems. First of all, um, when your amygdala is all fired up and you're in a state of alarm, your perception narrows to what is threatening you and your problem solving skills go straight out the window and we know that you know it's we know that that's a known fact and that's what happens in couples so the couples come in trying to solve problems when the emotional music is so threatening to everybody in ways that they don't even understand they don't even have words for you know, if you ask people sometimes what do you need in this relationship people can't really they say need um uh 
I need her to be more difficult, <laughs> less difficult. No, 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 wrong rabbit hole. You've just gone down a rabbit hole. No, no, no. What do you need? You know, let's talk about when do you feel bad in this relationship? When do you feel worried about the relationship? When, oh, oh, well, you know, we used to sit and talk at night and now she goes to bed at eight o'clock and I'm all by myself. Well, you're all by yourself. And the other thing we've learned from attachment science is emotional isolation is uh, toxic for human beings. We're not wired for it. It's literally toxic. And um, we have a culture that has somehow deified it and talked about it like it's independence and freedom. It's not, it's, it's a distortion of our humanity. Our humanity is to be connected to each other and to respond to each other. Um, so you're asking good questions. I hope I'm answering them. I guess get you caught are. You, you are and then some. It's wonderful and it's, it's, it's getting me thinking in different ways. What I'm reminded of here is one of the things you mentioned at the start of the workbook um, that post-COVID-19, this sense of isolation and disconnection has become even more magnified. Yeah. And this kind of work is even more uh, important now. Can you comment a little bit on, on the current state of things? Well, <laughs> yes. Um, to be honest, I, if I look around me, it worries me because um, for me, COVID was a perfect storm suddenly the world is much more uncertain suddenly everything's vague uncertain there's this mysterious illness and and how do we usually deal with uncertainty threat right we come together and suddenly the way we have of dealing with uncertainty and threat is also a threat we can't come together we have to stay separate and um i think and and then i think what also happened is that couples who couldn't talk about their worries and their fears and comfort each other and turn to each other, even when they were cut off from other people, couldn't find a way to come together and, and comfort each other. So the uncertainty got worse. I think it was a perfect storm. I think um, the second epidemic, there was COVID and then there was a second epidemic called emotional isolation. And some beautiful things happened, you know, like I remember watching a video of Italian people in a big apartment going out on the balconies and singing to each other. That's beautiful. I mean, some beautiful things happened, but um, it seems to me, and this is what the statistics show, that depression and anxiety has risen and is rising. It's to the point where the World Health Organization thinks that depression will be the main health issue i think it already is actually or did they give it a couple of years this is we should all pause here um there's a message here about how we live never mind about covid there's a message about have we built okay we live longer many of us are not starving you know it's appreciably better than if you think about the middle age i like history so if you think about the middle ages right on one level it is but on another level, there's something dreadfully missing. You know, um, I remember reading a conversation with Mother Teresa who came to London and somebody said to her, oh, it must be so amazing for you to be here instead of in the slums of Calcutta. We're not poor here. And she basically said, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> she said, because in the slums of Calcutta, people have each other. And here in London, you're all alone, right? Um, actually, there's a beautiful, beautiful YouTube just came out with uh, Ian, is it McKellar? The man who played Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. I always think it was- McKellar, yeah. Yes, and he, the, he, he was asked to give one word and he said love and everybody thought he was gonna be corny. And then he said um, that he came home to England and he got in the taxi and the taxi driver turned around to him and said, where do you want to go, love? And he said, I'm home. And it's profound because he said, wouldn't it be amazing if instead of 
struggling with what group you belong to. This is the other thing that's happened in this. We've all become polarized. Wouldn't it be amazing instead of having arguments about what pronouns you use and what group you belong to, that we all just called each other love, like English working class taxi drivers and imagine a world like that. And I thought, oh yes, imagine a world like that where people, you know, it, some nice things came out of COVID, like be kind to each other, little slogans. But um, I think in fact, you know, it's, we've set up a society, it just became more pronounced out, out of COVID where more and more people live separate, emotionally separate and physically separate and believe that this is the norm. And th this is basically a healthy way to be. I think, of course it is. Sometimes you, know, you, you want to live by yourself. You know, you can live by yourself and feel massively connected to other people. You know, you, if you have this internal sense of connection, but many people don't. And they believe that, you know, you have to be independent. Um, couples say things like, say, could you turn and tell her, I do shut down, I do shut down because I can't bear to hear that I'm so disappointing to you. And he says, people don't do that. <laughs> like, I'm not doing that. That's weak. She'll just despise me more and I'll despise me. And I say, oh, I understand. Aha. Uh -huh. So let's just st stay here a minute. For you, that's that would be strange. That would be, that's not, you don't think that's normal to be able to tell your partner, it hurts to think that I'm disappointing you, that you might be disappointed in me. This would be a huge thing for you to do. It feels like a risk. You say, well, yeah, you know, men don't do that. You know, don't you, don't you know men don't do that? And I say, mm -hmm. So, you know, we can deal with almost anything these days in EFT. So I turn and say, good. So could you tell her, please? It's just too hard for me. It's easier for me to go silent. It's just too hard for me to turn and tell you that it's, I just can't bear to hear the message that I'm disappointing you. And he does it. <laughs> and then he's amazed that his wife leans towards him with tears in her eyes and says, oh, you know, I didn't know that. And I'm so pleased you shared that with me. And that's what I want from you. I want, I want you. I don't want you, someone who fixes everything. I don't want a perfect performance. I don't need a perfect human being. I want you. And you, I love it. People's eyes, you know, when people get this, they go, uh, <laughs> you know, they actually, we have this thing. Um, my dog um, used to, um, what, what was the cue? Oh, if you played music on a recorder to him, he used to put his right lobe down to his shoulder and go, People do that when when they when they get like, oh, I've been on the wrong. You you want you want you just want closeness with me with me, imperfect, vulnerable me. You want you want me, not my performance or my you know. And and they they go, and it's because it's sort of alien, and some of that is that we live in a culture where distance and shutdown and invulnerability are glorified. Look at all our movies about, you know, uh, superheroes, you know, I mean, they're fun on one level, but sometimes when I'm looking at one, which I don't very often do because they bore me to tell you the truth, but um, it's just all this stuff about invulnerability and it's fun unless you start to believe the myth, unless you, you know, we, for years we've worked with um, we worked with the US Army and the Canadian military and we do EFT, emotionally focused therapy with, with, um, with you know, Navy SEALs, with men who, st who start off saying, um, what did that gentleman say? Excuse me, ma'am, I don't know what you're trying to do here, right? But uh, I'm just here to be a better soldier. And I, so I said, well, I'm so glad you're here. Please sit down, I'll show you how to be a better soldier, how to be calmer, stronger, more sure of yourself. And you, to do that, you need to know that somebody's got your back. And the lady sitting beside you is the woman you came home to. And she's the one 
that you need to know has got your back. If she's got your back and you know that in your bones, you'll be a better soldier, okay? And he sat down. And then we worked in that group with those guys. And we worked with them all the time. But our society privileges um, so-called self-sufficiency or independence. You know, our society says things like, there's apps that tell you, look in the mirror every morning and say, um, you're terrific. God, you're terrific, right? This is a silliness, all right? <laughs> I mean, bottom line is your brain will listen to it for two minutes and then say, yeah, yeah, yeah. For your brain to really pay attention, you have to look into the eyes of someone you love and see that they, you are the one they want with all your warts and and that's what we all long for. And when we get that, we grow. So I can't even remember your question, Ross. I'm going to try and be more disciplined, all right? That's okay. That's okay. They're just entry points for us. And I wanted to ask you that the conversation number six of the seven is bonding through sex and touch. And I just, I wanted to share a quote. You, you explain, the fact is that secure bonding and fully satisfying sexuality go hand in hand. Yes. They cue off and enhance one another. Emotional connection creates great sex and great sex creates deeper emotional connection. I'm just, one of my questions is um, around how do we find the right balance between using sex as a way to build a stronger emotional connection while also being aware not to use it as an escape from addressing other emotional aspects of the relationship? Oh, that's that's an interesting question. Um, I mean, I think our society basically prioritizes sex and so says, um, and, and tells us, here's the way to have sex. You know, this is what good sex is, and here's the way to have sex. So, you know, um, and we've got all kinds of cliches out there. Like, you know, all men want is sex, you know, men want sex. and But every man in couples therapy I've ever worked with, is this true? Yes. Every man I've ever worked with in, in couples therapy, if you go a bit beneath the surface, you know, I mean, let's be clear here. If what you want is orgasm, there are easier ways to get that without having to mess about with the all the, 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 the strum and drang of interacting with another person, okay? <laughs> there are all kinds of easier ways to get that. But these men, they say, I want sex, I, because they know how to ask for that, okay? But if you really listen to them, what they want is to be touched. What they want is to feel they matter. What they want is to know they please their partner. What they want is to be desired. And that's what women want too. And that's all about the emotional signals you send each other. So, you know, um, people's sex relationship improves um, from, in EFT. Why? We often don't, sometimes we talk about it if it's front and center for the couple. Uh, maybe that's the place they enact their dance the most, but sometimes we don't. But their sex life improves. Well, how come? Because if you are open and responsive to each other's cues and can tune into each other and move together, you can explore, you're curious, you can, ex you can communicate, you can talk about what you want and need, you can dance. Um, before COVID, I used to dance um, Argentine tango about 10 hours a week, okay? And it's the same, same. I mean, I, I, it's the same stuff. When you, people, it's the same, actually, it's a lot the same because we take sex and it's been commercialized and made into a cliche, and so is tango. Tango is being made into this, silly over-sexualized performance dance okay real tango is not like that at all real tango you can go to any city in the world and i can stand up with a perfect stranger and this beautiful emotional music gives us the structure we're both tuning into this emotional music and it's holding us and i can start to breathe with that person and you start by changing weight you get each other's rhythm you change weight and then you have to risk, you have to open up to the person's signals. And the person sends you signals 
and you take your prefrontal cortex and put it out in the chair on the other side of the room and you allow your body to respond and it's about synchrony and it and good sex is the same and so it's 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 like we've the tricky part is our culture often tells us what is normal and gives us an image how can we possibly create good relationship and good sex when so many of us don't even have an image of what that looks like we don't even know how to put our feet on the path so then it's incumbent on people like me who study relationships and on attachment theorists to to explore sexuality and to talk about <clears throat> you know good sex is is not just sexual massive sexual positions my favorite one was always um um climbing monkey what's that one monkey climbing tree or something anyway it's a silly <laughs> position okay and I thought no this isn't the way to wailing monkey climbing tree like okay which is in the joy of sex I think so, no no this you you don't need to do that for good sex life what you need to do is tune into each other and then making love if you have ARE in the relationship the possibilities are infinite because each time you make love is different because you're tuning in and you're exploring and you're dancing and you can play because you feel safe with each other the safer you feel with each other emotionally the more you can explore this experience it's like um you know those what do you call those zip lines if you're if you're on a zip line and you know you're strapped in you know you are and you trust the person that strapped you in you can zip across the canyon going wee you're open to the experience right if well then that's like this emotional safety and sexuality um if you believe that the, the zip line is wonky <laughs> no you don't engage in the same sort of spontaneous joy and you're not you go over you know performing or worrying or trying to figure out how to save your skin if things go wrong you know it's a different experience so we've done funny things with sexuality um you know and people say things like they confuse secure attachment with familiarity they say oh once you're familiar you know you can't novelty good sex depends on novelty um indeed good sex depends on being so open and connected with another person that you're open to new cues and of course your dance with that person naturally changes every minute that kind of novelty is deeply fulfilling but in our society we've said it's all about what toys you have or you have to include more people in the relationship or you have to have more superficial novelty coming from the outside no my experience is that doesn't fulfill people so they keep upping the ante you know they 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 want more extremes from their partner and when their partner gives it to them they want that's not enough they want more extremes so it's kind of like pornography in our society they've ramped the pornography now is nothing like it was 20 years ago they've ramped it and ramped it and ramped it because people habituate to it and now it's becoming really wild and um you know I think if we if we'd seen the stuff that's out there now 30 years ago we would have we wouldn't have believed it possible right and I I and people are thinking it's normal to you have to do these extreme things like choke people to have good sex sorry sorry uh, excuse me this is this is pernicious nonsense this is no and women mustn't do this to please men and men mustn't be deluded into thinking that this is manly and that this is wild sex this is a trap this is a this commercialized nonsense so so yeah sexuality is very core here um and i i do talk quite a bit about it in and people can go to my professional site and they can look up articles where i've or, or even talks where i've just talked about sexuality the professional site is www.iceef as in frank t.ca the international center for excellence in emotionally focused therapy so i've talked quite a lot about sex
Thank you. There's a there's a question here from Josephine um, uh, that I'll share with you. It says, can someone with avoidant attachment style also have the tendency to always say yes and pretend to agree with everyone else's agenda, but then eventually assert an extreme boundary without prior indication? Mm -hmm. I think so. We all have, you know, attachment styles are their strategies we learn usually in our early relationships and they worked in that they saved our lives in those relationships and we started to count on them the trouble is there's nothing wrong with that the trouble is when we get stuck in them and we don't learn to do anything else so then they do us we always do there's a song by Steely Dan called Do It Again. Go back, Jack, do it again, wheel turning round, right? It's, we go back, we get caught. And so we, so yes, one way of fending people off is to say, oh yes, I agree. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You see, I'm not present when I say that. I'm just, I'm, yeah, yeah, I agree. It's a way of sort of keeping you out there. But then if you keep coming, you keep coming and wanting more engagement with me, Oh, suddenly we're on a different level. And then I say, no, you know, I don't want to talk about it. no, no, right. So yes, people have their own way of dancing these strategies, but it's still useful to know what the strategies are. You know, we all have our own way of expressing our emotions, but it's still useful to know that, and this is a big generalization, but let's do it. It's still useful to know that underneath surface anger or frozen shutdown, um, there is always some version of sadness and grieving and loss. People, sometimes people call it depression. The client I saw last week, she said, what you're telling me is I'm not really depressed, I'm heartbroken. Isn't that what you're telling me? I said, what do you think? She said, yes, I'm heartbroken. Underneath these dances, there's sadness, there's shame, there's something wrong with me, so I can't show you who I am because you'll reject me, and we're all scared of rejection and abandonment, and there's fear, fear of isolation, fear of loss, fear of not of, of finding out we don't matter, there's fear. So that's what's sort of going on underneath, and but how we deal with each one of those emotions how they actually show up and how we actually communicate can be can be different you know but you can still look at people and say when this person is vulnerable it's too hard for them to reach they don't reach what they do is they pick up a, a bat and they go wham now will you respond to me <laughs> right because it's safer in some ways you know um and what does that person do oh uh, that person um reasons reasons for about five minutes and then um just exits turns away turns away from the, in their chair looks down at the floor breathes sighs goes blank right and when i say to that person what's happening for you right now frank when mary says this he says nothing nothing that's impossible. You're a social bonding animal and your lady that you depend on is coming for you with knives. So, you know, if you're saying nothing, you're working really hard, man, at feeling nothing. So all I have to do is get in the way of that and say, you feel nothing? As Mary turns and says, and I give the cue again. And if I do that three times, it can't do it. It can't keep me out. He says, well, I don't like it. I don't, I don't, I don't like it, but look at his, I'm enacting his body, look at, I don't like it. I said, oh no, it's really hard to hear her say, and I do it again. And I say, and what's happening to you? Well, I, where's your body? Well, I feel this in my chest, I don't look. And then he starts and he's opening up and he's, and, right. So shutdown takes a lot of energy and a lot of work. And um, that's part of the sadness of it. We shut down and shut other people out. And it sometimes takes 80% of our life energy to do that. So then we're left with 20%. Right? 
Thank you. And thanks, Josephine, for that question. I think we have time for one more. Um, this is a two-part question. I'll share both parts because I think they're really kind of intertwined in our one question in essence. So this is from Sonia, who says, Dr. Johnson, I have two questions. One, how does one build one's own ability to trust and be open to other people after trauma, both in childhood and adulthood? And two, how does one who has had trauma raise children who are securely attached and have a model for good relationships? Oh, that's a big one. We could spend a whole hour. That's a fascinating question. Thank you. That's a beautiful question. Let's do the first one. Okay. I think where we all start, where we all have to start, whether we're in couples, individuals, or we have to acknowledge where we are. And um, sometimes other people can help us with that, but we have to acknowledge that it's hard for us to trust. And, and we have to acknowledge what that's about. And if you've been traumatized in close relationships, you have all the reasons in the world to be incredibly careful and not trust. You, and I think what I just said is important, to acknowledge you have a problem with trust and that you have good reasons for that. And that those reasons are valid. And then you know kind of where you are. And then you, you have to say to yourself, I want to learn to do it. So first acknowledging that it's difficult, understanding what that's about, put it in context. And then what I see couples do, um, what I see individual clients do with me when I do EFIT, EF, um, Emotionally Focused Individual Therapy, which we wrote a book on this year that called The Primer of Emotionally Focused Individual Therapy. Um, what I see is, <clears throat> They can acknowledge that and I can say something and acknowledge what is the fear? What is going to happen if right now you, you turn and take a small risk with me or you turn and take a small risk with your partner? And you know, our fears are all the same. They really are. They're universal. What is going to happen is I won't be seen. I'll be, I'll be invisible. You won't see me. What is going to happen is I'll see that you don't care. What is going to happen is I'll feel more rejected and the pain will be huge. It'll be worse. What is going to happen is the pain will go on forever and I'll never get out of it. And that's right. What's going to happen? So then you, you get specific about the fear. You kind of name it and you sort of nail it to the ground. It's not big and vague. It's, you know what it is. And then you start to take little risks, which if you're in therapy with me, I do. Or if I'm in couples therapy, I help people do. I think the exercises in the book and in the online program help you do. You start to be able to name and own your inner reality in a way that makes it okay. And you start to take small little risks. And maybe the first risk is you're kind to yourself. You take small little risks. You don't leap off the you know, off Everest, you know, you, right, you, you go and for a walk and look at Everest from a distance, right, from binoculars, and then, then you think about it, you know, and so you say to somebody, um, I'm aware that it's difficult to talk about this with anyone, and so some part of me would like to be able to talk about this with you, but it's, it's so hard for me right now, I just, um, it, it just, it just, it's just scary, that is a that is wonderful that is if you, if you did that in therapy with me i would go yes 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 ross you are so brave that's incredible terrific right um you know you have to start where you are and you have to start small and you have to take risks and the issue is that you have to be prepared for the fact that some folks don't know how to respond to you and that's the truth and um, some folks will try and some folks do know how to respond. So, you know, it's, there's a risk involved, but raising children, um, this fascinates me because my experience is there are amazing, brave, courageous, resilient, incredible people out there who have been traumatized in unbelievable ways as children 
and who then turn around and find the strength and the courage and the wisdom to understand what happened to them and instead of being caught in being reactive and somehow repeating that pattern they see the pattern and they tune into what they longed for and what their children long for and they reach and they give what they've never seen and they never got and that is miraculous and the and speaks to the power of the human spirit and the only way i understand that is that is wired in somewhere this stuff is wired in but it's cut off when you're always protecting yourself and you're in a dangerous situation but you look into your baby's face and you see that vulnerable child and it awakes in you the longing that you had as a child that was never answered and you find the way to do it because because we have this path in us we have this we have these natural positive patterns of reaching and holding and they're old and they're our basic survival code so people find ways to do it but I think sometimes it's not easy I mean if you're overwhelmed with trauma cues and you suddenly feel numbed out and depressed and your child comes and wants to be held that's hard that's really hard you know and maybe there's and that's when you need support you need a friend a mother a, a husband a, um, a wife who can see that you're having problems and come in support if you're alone as a single mother that's so hard because you have to you you've got this turmoil going on inside of you and you're being asked to respond to this other human being but it's almost like they're miles away and you're so that's very difficult and that makes it hard but people do it we do not always pass trauma on we talk a lot about intergenerational trauma yes it's true and that's a that's a community issue as well but the truth is thank goodness we don't always pass trauma on we really don't sometimes we find ways to heal it just enough maybe that we can respond to our children because naturally if we're open in a moment people respond have you ever seen the way people talk to dogs dogs are our, I used to sit in Starbucks and watch that there used to be a thing where they would tie the dogs up outside and I would sit and drink my coffee and watch these distracted people with files under their arms and coffee and who talking on their cell phones then they have to stop because the traffic's coming along and a dog looks up at them and wags its tail and does a kind of dog smile and they stop and they go I couldn't hear what they were saying right but I would see them go and they'd stop in their busy day they're responding to this dog's cues of hi um i'm a dog i want you to see me will you pat me i'd love you to pat me and they they go oh yes so we have this naturally in us thank goodness but that's a very profound question we could talk about it for a long time trauma is fascinating and um trauma developmental trauma which happens to us when we're young wow that's like growing up carrying a 10-ton weight but but human beings are amazing we we can do it and if we get a little help if somebody shows us the path and tells us what the the, the, the drama is all about hey then we can fly I just want to I just want to thank you again for taking the time to be with us here today Dr. Sue and and to just encourage everybody to to look into to Dr. Sue Johnson's work. We we've, we've been talking about Hold Me Tight Seven Conversations for a Lifetime of Love which was her landmark and very profound book released in 2008 and also the brand new companion workbook which is called The Hold Me Tight Workbook A Couple's Guide for a lifetime of love. Uh, Dr. Sue, I was wondering if you could repeat the website that you mentioned uh, a few minutes back. Um, the ICEFT one, is that the one you mean? Yes. yes. It's, the, it's the sort of professional one. 
it's www.iceef, as in Frank, t.com. It's the International Center for Excellence in Emotionally Focused Therapy, and it's an international not-for-profit. We train therapists. Hey, um, Ross, I'm happy to do it. It's not 65 um, organizations we're connected with all around the world now. It's 91. Can you believe? Whoa. Yeah, I know. That's what I said when they told me. Whoa, what happened there? They're, they're springing up everywhere. Iran, Egypt, everywhere. Okay. So, um, yeah. So you can go there and you can look at all our study. You can look at the brain scan study we did which showed how connection, ARE connection with a partner changes literally how your brain experiences electric shock in a, if you're lying in a brain scan machine. You can look at all kinds of research. You can look at articles. You can look at chapters on sex, chapters on, oh, um, there's some, I, I look at that now. I looked at it the other day and I, I must admit, I thought, this is ridiculous. Who did all this stuff? Me and my colleagues did all this stuff. I don't know. Have we had any time at all to breathe? I can't believe, it. but it just grows. It just grows. Um, so you know, EFT is a passionate lot uh, because we love what we do and we believe in what we do. So, um, so yeah, that website's neat. And the Hold Me Tight Online uh, program you, you said is www.holdmetightonline.com. And that's the one that lots of the military personnel use. All of. I love the fact that our Canadian soldiers have and their partners have access to that. I, I, I just I just love that. So that's wonderful. And it's it's really, really neat to me that a lot of your research was done just down the road from Banyan Books. At, yes. that, that's a really cool connection. Yes. Yeah. Oh, hey, when I first came to Canada, I used to. I had no, as I told Jacob, I used to tootle down to Banyan books and sit and read the books in your armchairs. You never threw me out, you guys. You were so sweet. <laughs> and then I would save up and I'd be able to buy a, buy one of the books, right? But I used to, I used to love Banyan books. It's a, yeah. Wonderful. Dr. Sue, thank you so much for joining us today. You're most welcome. It was incredible fun. Thanks for joining us for Branches of Wisdom, a podcast of Banyan Books and Sound, Canada's spiritual and healing resource since 1970. Our podcast producer is Jacob Steele. The show is edited by Abdo Habani. Watch all our conversations on YouTube by searching for Banyan Books or listen on your favorite podcast platform. Please subscribe, follow, like, and leave your reviews and comments. We love to hear from you. For all our live events, books, and more, visit us at banyan.com.